Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, a man who looks happy, content, like someone who's not dove into alchemy. <laughs> My good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. How you been, man? Dude, great. You know, um, I, I wish sometimes, just sometimes, the listeners could just get a sous-son of the joy I feel having a conversation with you about the dumbest, most inane things. It's the best. It's what it's what we do best. Really, it is. Right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, what, 400 whatever episodes? Just an excuse to hang out and, and shoot the breeze, dude. Absolutely. This is, yeah. this is basically the conversation if we were, <laughs> I mean, hanging out at the, uh, you know, the Comp USA you know, barber shop, wherever it is that we would yeah, go. I mean, yeah. who are we kidding? It would be a it would be a coffee shop, uh, and we would have some like you would almost certainly have a Russian novel. I would almost certainly have a Batman graphic novel, <laughs> and we'd be talking about whatever, right? It's true. Yeah. So that that that's our friendship in a nutshell, and I dig it, dude. Magic the Gathering. So you have definitely played more than the two of us. I'm in a I would say an analysis phase. Okay. Played a little bit of standard this week, but like I don't know that there's much to say. Interested in your perspective cuz I see there's a format here that's not discussed nearly enough. <laughs> Tell me about it, man. Uh so I have not actually logged on to uh, uh, Arena now for 2 weeks and um I'm going to just keep on rolling. If I can keep on playing Paper Magic, I'm just going to do that and um I think I'm going to have a better time. Uh, this week, playing this darling of a format, Curtis, called Pioneer. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I have not had this much fun playing some games of magic in a long, long time. Uh, this is this was just by far the most fun, most unexpected, surprising sort of like magic that I've had um, in quite some time. It was great. So um, you can get in to a very good blue red deck for I, I, okay, depending on like what you have to begin with. Like if you are a modern player and you have some of these cards or if you've been playing standard, I think you can get into some of these decks for like sub $100. And um, it's awesome. So I'm playing a blue-red Thing and Nice Arclight Phoenix deck. Uh, th the only thing I needed to buy for this deck were, were the Arclight Phoenixes, just because I've never played them in standard. So I dropped 35 bucks, and I won my money back, and then some, Um playing a very very fun deck and after i was done you know i got home my wife was like what's up normally you're so angry after <laughs> going to a magic <laughs> tournament and uh, it, like you, you seem happy and and jazzed and it's like yeah i was just because i had such a good time i ended up going um 3 2 uh it was a very long night but played against some really interesting things both of the games that I lost against were to a Winota deck, and um, I just forgot that Winota was a thing. Um, it's a very good thing, um, and yeah. it works really, really well in the context of um, Pioneer. 
Uh, the blue red deck that I was playing, I, I, it's essentially the blue red deck that you were playing with historic, uh, minus you're playing thing of nice. Um, fun fact: I forgot that treasure cruise is legal in this format, <laughs> and so so is dig through time. By the way, yeah. Just dusted off those cards. I still have them in my binder, and uh, man, what a fun card to play! Um, it designed like where not legacy, but not standard. Pioneer is really the sweet spot where it's like, okay, Delve isn't completely busted, but it's very, very powerful. You know, so really had a good cut time with that. Um, running some like Narsets in the side, Brazen Borrowers in the side. Um, consider is the other card that I would say is probably what's making this deck like exceptional. Um, just because mm-hmm. I mean, it's allowing essentially the the faithless looting, you know, um, kind of sort of thing. I feel feel like it's almost a solved faithless looting where, um, you know, you put something in the yard. Um, I'm able to activate Arclight Phoenix, and away we go. Um, so yeah, man, I I um. I'm shocked at how much fun I had. It was very in, a very interesting night. Um, I played against, um, like I said, two Anoda decks, uh, two Burn decks, and a, I, I, I don't know, like a black-green Gilded Goose deck, Trail Crumbs deck. It was essentially the Sacrifice deck sort of thing um, with Cauldron mm-hmm. Familiar, but um, it was doing something that was kind of interesting. Um um, and then using like Bolas Citadel to um, essentially just cast everything. So anyway, dude, uh, I have not played Pioneer nearly enough. Um, and the only thing that I was upset about afterwards was like this could have been an arena. The, the historic or whatever they were doing with that could have been this and it would have been so great. Um, and maybe we'll still get Pioneer at some point in arena um but just getting that taste of like what a really interesting non-rotating format with like this little segment of the history of magic super fun i i would also point out like look it's hard not to talk about pioneer without talking about what might have been yeah right um covid obviously impacted the format but like it's hard for me to imagine them doing Pioneer on Arena and it not being more successful than what they've decided to do with Historic. Um, Because I think it would have really put Pioneer on the forefront. Like, I genuinely think if we had Standard and Pioneer, Historic did not exist on Arena, and they just kept pushing Pioneer out to the edge of where Constructed Pioneer was through Masters, through whatever system they wanted to use... I think we would be talking about Pioneer as competing with Modern in terms of popularity. And it just feels like a swing and a miss. Um, you know, there might be edges to the format that aren't really uh, smoothed out that we've, that have, because the format is so under the radar, it's not really exposed in the same ways. For for example, it's kind of shocking to me that Winota is legal. Um, yeah. <laughs> because there's no fetch lands, Treasure Cruise, I kind of buy maybe a little bit more, but. Nevertheless, uh, Treasure Cruise is no joke. Um, <laughs> no. It's got credentials. Um, no, dude, I, I don't know if you remember, but like, gosh, it would have been around summertime. I tried to go That's to right. a Pioneer tournament, and I, I have Phoenix. I have Blue Red Phoenix ready to rock and love that deck. 
I uh, the blue black control deck. I'm sure I could put together for a pittance. Um, it's a good format. It's a cool format. Yeah. And turnout was pretty decent. I mean, it's still not nearly as popular as modern. I think that's I think everywhere that's still like this the most popular yeah. thing. Yeah. But you know, there was a decent turnout, which was great. So um, nice variety too. I, just looking around, so I like that. Well, sweet man. So, man, that makes me want to buy into Pioneer and play test Pioneer. Maybe that's a terrible idea, but like just having a Pioneer deck available, I think would would be great. I mean, you have half the modern stuff, so you can get some of the decks fairly easy. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably three quarters of the way through like three or four of these. Sure. So it's just a matter of going back through, like the the mana base. If you've been playing standard with exactly. any kind of regularity, the mana base is essentially put together. And I would still submit to you that I think it being a fetch landless format has been a real strength of it. Like, really makes it feel fresh. But I remember pre COVID, I'm sure we I, I could go back to listen to the shows. I was playing blue white control in Pioneer and having an absolute blast at local tournaments. And there was a real fervor for the 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 format. And then COVID just really, yep. you know, swept the leg of the whole enterprise. <coughs> well, anyway, now that's a good suggestion, Cameron. Maybe Pioneer is where, where I head a little bit. It's fun. Um, or maybe I just go play some standard because a standard deck I can also put together for next to nothing. Um, here's what I want to do. We, at this time of the year, do our year in review. So I just want to, like, take up my portion of the show take up this first segment before we talk about other stuff and just really knock out our year in review um here are the set releases this is kind of out of order from the show notes Cameron, so mm-hmm. i apologize yeah, here are the set releases and i've kind of squished together arena and paper <coughs> but my rules were commander exclusive sets aren't on this list and that's more of a function of we're just not really equipped to talk about them um and then some of the other like secret layers, like A, there's a bazillion of those, and B, they're just not within our wheelhouse or really affecting things. I would also argue that there's some things like the Innistrad double feature, which maybe that's out next month. I don't know. Whatever. There's a lot of supplemental product is my point. But here are the main big ticket releases. Are you ready? Kaldheim, Historic Anthology 4, Time Spiral Remastered, Strixhaven, Historic Anthology 5, Modern Horizons 2, Dungeons & Dragons, Adventures in the Forgotten Realm, my favorite set title ever, Jumpstart Historic Horizons, Midnight Hunt, Innistrad Midnight Hunt, uh, and Crimson Vow. So, give give me a top tier here, and low tier, where are you at on this, dude? Uh, you know, I would say... This year, there have been some very solid paper sets. Like, I, I would say if we're just going, like, classic, like, here are the sets that are being released for standard, um, I think it's been pretty decent. Um, it, compared to last year with, like, Ikoria, I just we can go on and on and on with, like, the Forgotten Theros set and all that. Um, it was just maybe not as strong as or just consistent as what I thought this year was. It felt like we were doing a lot of writing a lot of the wrongs <laughs> from uh, oh, yeah. years past, right? So uh, Kaldheim, I think, has been like a really, really good set. I didn't hate Strixhaven, and the Dungeons & Dragons set was really, really good. 
and then I mean like honestly Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow have been good this has just been really solid and it's leading to I think a really decent standard right now so um that to me is like the thing that's been standing out for 2021 is just some decent sets that have been released yeah I would argue that like the like even you know Strixhaven which at the time was poo-pooed horribly what a disaster of a set nobody wants it and then lo and behold look at all these standard decks that are playing lessons right like mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff has had more impact and I you know I always compare this to Rise of the Eldrazi when that was a draftable set the limited players loved it but construct oh this set has terrible EV it's awful and it turned out that it did just fine mm-hmm. right um, it's always a little bit difficult to gauge within the context of future sets. The thing that strikes me with looking at this list is how many of these things would have been big deals in previous years, uh, i.e. Time Spiral Remastered, yeah. <laughs> would have been a huge set, like a huge set. Kind of a footnote. The first crossover with Dungeons & Dragons in a Magic set, I feel like you and I like that set a lot more than other people, which mm. is weird. Uh, but... I really had a ton of fun with that, and I like the dungeon mechanic. Controversial, maybe, you know, and I, and I know there, there was like, oh, there's always this one you need to go to, and this one's the bad one to go to, but that that was a very good first glimpse at a mechanic that was super new and fun to play digitally, I thought. Um, but yeah, dude, it's hard. I mean, honestly, it's hard for me to look at this and not say that Midnight Hunt is the best set. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it probably just is the best set, and... It's just so rock solid, and I don't know if I'm taking it for granted because it is Innistrad, and it's kind of what we expected, and flavor-wise and tone-wise and, you know, in terms of the illustrations and all that, it was all the things that we expected, but it's just been, I mean, a really good, solid set of Magic cards, Yep. and not enough of those have been printed. Interestingly, uh, let me just get down to the timeline so we can kind of maybe loop in our criticisms of these sets. Because there's definitely a timeline here. So as we got towards the summer, Magic kind of started to... I wouldn't say it's even back to normal now, but you could go play Paper Magic. Mm -hmm. And you and I were super pumped. But on the digital front, you see this trend. So in March, that's when the Mystical Archive came out. And if you remember, that was like right after um, a historic anthology. Right, and it kind of nerfed, or I shouldn't say nerfed, made the historic anthology useless. That was the one with Death Shadow, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, and now they were like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna give you Brainstorm. We're gonna give you, you know, uh, 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 Tainted Pact." On and on and on. These cards ended up getting banned. Um, and then the, the the slippery slope really starts where, oh hey, we sold a lot of Strixhaven because people wanted these Mystical Archive cards. And then by August, we're like, hey, we're going to add some digital-only cards to Historic. Now we are attempting to, I would argue, replace Standard with Alchemy around December. So there is kind of like this timeline of escalation of this stuff. And it's really clear when you look at it on a calendar. Um, But it's hard for me to look at this and say, Jumpstart Historic Horizons bad set bad for magic uh and really kind of this new world order of we are going to aggressively print stuff uh in a digital sense that you need to have if you want to stay up to date 
mm-hmm. right? Um, so to me, that's the low point of all this. <laughs> is, is you have a thought? Yeah, the mystical archive was like the the kind of the the start. Uh, I, you know, as much as like I, I'm fine with Strixhaven. I played an absurd amount of that and put a lot of money into that specifically to get, I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing. I needed those brainstorms. I wanted those time spirals. I wanted all of it, right? And um, I bought a lot of it. And I would say because they were powerful cards, because they're like kind of legacy staples or vintage staples in some cases, you thought, well, these have to be good in the context of historic. And so you buy all these things and lo and behold, like most of it isn't actually that good in the context of historics. So they got their money out of me. Um, but that just started this trajectory of from that to historic anthology to that the jump start, like where I just said I'm done with uh, historic horizons. And um, actually, I haven't looked back and I, it's been fine, honestly. I mean, I just come to realize that you could call jumpstart historic horizons. You could mix up any of those three words. And it has no impact on what the product is. <laughs> it's true. Like Horizon's historic jumpstart. <laughs> right? This is like the infamous uh, Saturday Night Live where they're making fun of Aerosmith songs. And they call it, they call it like Amazing Crazy Crying, Crying Crazy Amazing. <laughs> so true. This is, where we're at. <laughs> this is where we're at. And again, it just... No, again, not to bang this drum too often, but it, again, it just indicates that there's just a real lack of focus or vision where I could look at a title of a set for I don't know how many years and be like, it takes place on this plane. It's about this. This is the theme. This is this is just three words that actually have no connective tissue whatsoever, and it is just marketing vomit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, it's hard for me to look at this. Now, look, Modern Horizons 2... There's some blame to be laid there, too. But it it is very much existing within the paper world. And it was a continuation of a problem with Modern Horizon 1. It is weird to think about that we went through all that with Modern Horizons 1. Hogak, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they went back and almost did the exact same level of pushing. They did. And I don't think that's on accident, right? So, How else are you supposed to play those cards in your new legacy deck? You know, got to push it. Got to make something better yeah. than Delver, man. Oh, dude, Delver's not even, he's he's, yeah. a, he's the uh, persona non grata yeah, of right. legacy, you know? Um, all right, so let's talk about cards that we lost mm-hmm. in 2020. <laughs> in memoriam. <laughs> 2021, right? Um, and this isn't that, like, amazing. So, historic Omnath, Uro. Right, I'm not going to count the mystical archive cards as banned, right? Mm-hmm. Thassa's Oracle, Time Warp, Brainstorm, Tybalt's Trickery, and currently, I've forgotten this. Memory Lapse is suspended, mm. <laughs> not banned. Um, honestly, you could tell me five years from now. Did you know they they uh, suspended Memory Lapse? I'd be like, oh man, forgot. Right, it's so it, it's don't you see, Cameron? It's so different from a banning. It's so different. Well, it's going to be because they can rewrite the card now and just make it do whatever. Yeah. Uh, so you put it back on top, and then 
they get to shuffle and draw a card, mm-hmm. and it's still memory lapse. So elegant. It's great, right? Um, what is weird, so in modern, there were substantial bannings in February, mm-hmm. and I had forgotten about this. Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary, Simeon Spear Guide, Tybalt's Trickery, and Uro all banned, right? And that was also the month in which Dreadhorde Arcanist? Yeah. Which again, Pour what a, what, out, a what a, yeah. Oko uh, got banned in Arkham's Astrolabe, right? Um, those are the big things. I'm seeing what else. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Book of Exalted Deeds got banned in Standard 2022. Remember that was a combo with Faceless Haven yeah. where you could gain infinite life or whatever? But not nearly as intense or ridiculous as the 2020 and 2019 like no list kidding. of banning cards. So I look, we've been really harsh on Watsy, I I think rightfully so these last few months, but it is worth pointing out here that they've really done a much better job of designing for standard this year. So uh you know, good job. Yeah, I mean I'm fine with that. I think more than anything, more than Alchemy, more than historic, the thing that needs to be the best, regardless, has to be standard for WotC, um, despite what they might think. I think that that's what, what's best for the, you know, the health of magic as a whole. So writing like all those wrongs and making kind of a solid, like we've said just earlier, um, you know, some solid sets that make for a really good standard, um, I'm okay with. And, you know. If it gets stale, it gets stale, but it's still a solid standard, and I'm happy playing it. Right on, man. Well, we are going to, next show, we are going to get into our hopes for 2022. (laughs) And I think we're going to have some, probably some real out there wishes, which are are almost certainly not going to happen. But it's worth a shot, right, Cameron? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You miss all the shots you don't take. So... Uh, let's get out of this segment, come back, talk about uh, what else we've been up to this week. All right, Cameron. So I'm interested. This says Spider-Man, and I have not seen Spider-Man. Do I need to see Spider-Man? Uh, um, are you going to continue watching Marvel movies from here on out? Yes, but... Yes, but here's the thing. I have not seen Eternals yet. And I feel like there's another one that I've missed. But I've not put the priority on it to catch up the way I have in the past. Purely because I'm much more interested in watching these things from home Mm, than mm -hmm. on a movie theater screen. Um, Did you watch Eternals? I don't even know. No, that's one. I'm I'm waiting for it on Disney Plus. So like you. (laughs) Like that was, that's just one. It just didn't really pique my curiosity at all. Well, I mean, if we're just being honest with each other, just between you and me and the listeners, there haven't been a lot of very good Eternals comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, I and I think that is one of Neil Gaiman's weakest series that he's put together. I love I yeah. I love Neil. I I love his stuff, but like, I just think Eternals is. I mean, we're talking C tier would be complimentary, right? Yeah. Um. So there's that. Where Spider-Man, I think, is, I mean, he is Marvel Comics, right? So a right? little bit yeah. more of a mark, yeah, marquee character. 
Um, I know there's multiverse stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, there's no way it's better than Into the Spider Verse. I know that. <laughs> Hard um, to beat. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe the greatest superhero film ever made. Uh, you tell me how often Peter Porker shows up. In other films. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but no, dude, give me your broad stroke thoughts and what you've thought of this Spider-Man portrayal. Yeah. So I would say this is like the, the Spider-Man that it is kind of like the wrap up for the, um, the, this Peter Parker in the Marvel cinematic universe where I feel like they put it in a nice little coda, wrapped it up and whatever they're going to do with Tom Holland, for like the next three Spider-Mans that he's signed on for. Um, I feel like they're going to kind of stand on their own as more of a Spider-Man rather than Spider-Man living with the Iron Man universe. Right. Um, it feels like it's definitely going in an interesting direction. And I really like that. Um, this movie pays fan service in a way that I wish more movies that did fan service would follow it. It, um, I mean, it pays so many like fan service through the history of the Spider-Man stuff. So if you've seen the trailer, I'm not, I mean, spoilers, I guess, but you get Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, right? And Jamie Foxx as Electro. So like we're getting villains from other Spider-Man's universes. So it's kind of dealing with like that multiverse sort of thing, kind of like into the um, Mm Spider-Verse, the animated series, just doing it live action. Um, and revisiting the other Sony properties. Um, and it pays tribute to those other villains and those other stories in ways that I thought serviced this Peter Parker really, really well. Um, it was just a really fun story, a fun movie. My wife and I came out, and my wife is not a huge Marvel. I mean, she'll go to the movies, but she's never like, let's go. Um, but she came mm. out like that was like the one of the better Marvel movies that she remembered. Like she actually had a good time and it was just a just a really good way to kind of um wrap up this um this trilogy of Peter Parker stories. <sighs> worth I it, guess. I think. I mean, I don't know if it's worth taking the entire family to, but it's it's definitely a worthwhile experience to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess what the problem I have, and this is the way I feel about Spider-Man, okay, uh, is I feel like it would be a better TV program <laughs> than it would be a cinematic franchise because so much of what Spider-Man is about and the power of, you know, what the the message is, is that, yes, you can do, you know, these really wonderful things and have a positive impact within the context of an everyday life, right? And I think we're always trying to shoot for these epic, you know, multiverse, light in the sky, aliens invading. And that's really not what Spider-Man is all the time, you know, sometimes, mm-hmm. rarely. Um, and so, whereas I think, like, the Daredevil series, which I love, like, almost too much, and, like, the Hawkeye series now do a much better job of keeping things... I wouldn't say all the way grounded, but more like street level, if you will. Yeah. And that's really where Spider-Man has lived. Um, so I, I would really prefer that Disney head in a direction where they do a prestige TV show with Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to because, you know, now this is just such a juggernaut of a franchise. Yeah. 
But that's the thing that's always kind of bugged me, whereas I would argue someone like Captain America kind of lives within a Tom Clancy film at all times. It just kind of fits better within the context of a movie. Um, Same with Iron Man or or whatever. Um, But no, man, I'm... I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it with my family. We'll probably watch it when it comes to Disney Plus, like we did with Shang-Chi. Just, and that's just the economics. Yeah. Like, yeah, movie theaters have gotten really expensive to take four people to. Like, and I can, I can order, like, the most amazing barbecue, like, meal, eat it at home while we watch a movie, and it's, like, half the price. I was going to say, and you still have 40 uh, bucks left over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just gotten way out of hand. And, you know, I know it's kind of in vogue for some people that are in movies to blame franchise movie making and superhero movies for, like, the collapse. It's like, maybe you guys aren't realizing the effect of, I have a nicer screen in my house, and it's cheaper to watch in my house. (laughs) Like, just saying. I don't think Iron Man is what caused that problem. Um, So, Cameron, I do want to update you on Wheel of Time. Yeah. So there is one more episode to go of the season, and I don't even know how to describe. So first of all, I love it like deeply, but it is one of the most wildly inconsistent shows <laughs> you will ever see. Like there are times where it is even or past some of the best moments in Game of Thrones, and then there are moments where it feels like you're watching Riverdale on the CW. And it's amazing, like, the massive vacillations in what it is. And I would maybe just put that up as this is the first season. And it's not like Game of Thrones was super consistent its first season either, right? Um, But there is a cold open for the most recent episode, which I think is episode seven or eight. And it is the best action sequence I've ever seen on a TV show ever. Um. It is, they apparently bought this new kind of camera that can travel like over six feet in focus in less than a second. And so it moves around the the fighters Mm -hmm. like as the choreography is happening. So it ends up being this really clean fight choreography that's really clear to watch. And it was just like stunning. So if you're not going to watch any of it, just watch the cold open for the latest episode. It's like three minutes and it's like awesome. This like pregnant woman fighting off these other people while she's in labor, <laughs> and it's <Okay>. like <laughs> it, it is just really like something you've never seen. And it's you know there's no real acting like spoken acting I should say, um, but the instant it gets done, it's like I don't know who shot that sequence, but we need to find them, give them a Conan script, and go because <laughs> this is amazing, right? And some of the performances, especially like there's a guy that plays kind of the main bodyguard of the lady wizard in this, his performance would stand up to anything in Game of Thrones. But then some of the kids that are like, you know, upper teenage kids, like, again, it just feels like you're watching, you know, CW fair. And it's like, wow, this is like weird. Um, Amazon has got all the money. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, So on a production value, like it's, it's really, really, really astronomically high, but still a recommend Still really good. The lore is crazy, crazy deep. And then you get into these moments where you're like, hey, that's just like Game of Thrones or that's just like Elder Scrolls. And you forget that this happened before all those. Yeah. Yeah. But it just feels like later on because of the timing of the show. So still a recommend. Um, Watch that one action sequence. I can't remember the name of the camera. That's killing me. 
Uh, but it, it is super cool. I knew I knew you'd love that yeah. part. So, uh, Cameron, if someone would like to get at you and talk to you about all the different multiverse possibilities for this show, where could they find you? <laughs> they can find that uh, find me on Twitter at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>